0: Okay, everybody, Stephen Key here, and I have a very special guest. In fact, this topic you're going to love, because we're going to peel back the curtain on some things that are happening at the USPTO. That's right, the United States Patent and Trademark Office. I know a lot of people out there are filing patents. And and Brian, they're feeling like I do, that the USPTO is this big, big government organization, and they don't really care about me. But before we get into that topic, Brian, thank you for coming on EventRite TV.
1: Hey, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, you wrote this wonderful article, and we're going to link to it down below so people can read more about your perspective, because your perspective at the USPTO is very unique. And why is that?
1: So I'm in a very unique position because I started as a patent agent, so I was working, helping getting people patents, and then I went to be a patent examiner. Where I got to see the inner workings of the PTO, and now I'm back to helping people as a patent agent. So that kind of gave me a very unique perspective of seeing. Okay, I saw this on one side, but let me look and see why it happened that way on the inside. So I was kind of like the patent office spy.
0: So when I read that article, it was very intriguing because you have the you have a different perspective. I mean, you you're helping inventors file patents so you could see the difficulty of doing that working with the USPTO and patent examiners and then you became one and you could see their difficulty dealing with inventors and applications so let's start with what did you what did you feel like when you were just uh, you know helping inventors file patents i mean how, what was your perspective at that point
1: So to me, it seemed like the patent office was this machine that would just this rejection machine that they were completely there to just ruin my inventors on that. And then I would see just a tremendous variation in what I considered quality at the time. But as I mentioned in my article, what I thought was quality issues at the time were just just different peoples having different perspectives on what they're looking at. Like two people can look at the same thing and see different things. And I think that was what I thought were quality issues. Okay. On the outside.
0: All right. So you're, you're helping inventors. And what, what happened for you to join the USPTO?
1: So it was an unfortunate circumstance on my end. So the law firm I was working at, their business went down. So I ended up getting laid off. Okay. And then everyone told me the PTO was the best place to get experience because at the time I'd only logged in about seven months and it takes about two years to be proficient. Okay. So I joined the patent office to build up my experience clock.
0: Okay. So what was it like? How many patent examiners are there at the USPTO?
1: For utility patents, which is how a is a, there's three different types of patents, plant, utility and design, design is how it looks, plant is like a vegetable, and then utility is what most people think about. So there's about 8,000, a little bit over 8,000 utility patent examiners.
0: That's a lot, isn't it?
1: (laughs) It is. The big challenge, like on the outside I said, okay, I'm gonna go in the patent office and I figure out everything they do wrong and tell them how to run their business perfectly. But when you get to the point of saying, 8,000 people. is like, how can you be fair with 8,000 people? And I think that's where the machine field comes from. The patent offices, they're trying to be fair and consistent with everyone, both applicants and examiners. So it has to have these very rigid set of rules to cover every circumstance.
0: So it's not easy for a yeah. patent examiner. I mean, they have a pretty t- difficult job. Can you explain to us how long does a patent examiner actually work on a case? Is it
1: overall estimate so so it varies on a, a two things there are two major factors there is the grade level so there's a gs7 gs9 so kind of your rank and then also there's the technology center that you're doing patents in so i was gs7 which is pretty much the lowest rank and i was in artificial intelligence which has the most time so i had about 48 hours for a case That And some of the mechanical guys have significantly less time, in 48 hours for the entire case. And then there was some little stuff that you could get extra time for. Like if I did an interview, I would get an extra hour, and then the Patent Office has started rolling out some other things to give a little extra time for here and there.
0: That doesn't seem like a lot of time.
1: Oh, it's not. It is so challenging to find the prior art, because the Patent Office search tools for the prior patents are extremely good. There, There's no search tool I've seen that's as good as the internal tools the patent office has. But okay. once we switch over to non-patent literature, that gets to be extremely challenging okay. because with patents, people write a very standard format. The prof- or practitioners write a very standardized format versus the, when you're doing non-patent literature, it's professors that are writing all over the place and then people putting blog articles and that sort okay. of thing.
0: Um, let's talk about a little bit about office actions okay because I think a lot of inventors get into this and don't understand that you know they they come up with a great invention maybe they build a prototype and maybe they file a provisional patent application and maybe if they see that this is going to be a good idea they go to a non-provisional patent you know patent application and then they work with a, a patent agent or a patent attorney and they draft it they file it all right so there's that whole process. But afterwards, what happens, it lands on the examiner's desk and he's looking for prior art, correct? To see if correct. this is new in novels. Is that, is that the way that kind of works? <sighs>
1: So the patent office is, is this big mach or big assembly line. So there's all, there's people that'll check the drawings and then there's people that will do this and this and this. And so by the time it gets to my de- or the examiner's desk, it's already been a lot of the things have been checked, but some of the things have not been checked. Like we check for the it has to be new, it has to be not non-obvious, it has to be a statutory category, 35 USC one oh one. And then there's also some other things that has to be the 112s, 35 USC 112s, but it has to be clear.
0: Okay. But Brian, tell me, because I have, um, I've been through the process a few times. Okay. So, and it seems to me that first office action comes back from that, you know, from the patent examiner and they're finding prior art that really doesn't relate to my invention at all. It's like, what was he thinking? Why did they see those? Those don't relate at all. Why does is, why is that happen that way?
1: So as a practitioner, there's a game we play. So we always try to claim far more than what we get. It's almost like one analogy is if you if you put your house for sale on the market and it sells the very same day, you're going to ask yourself, did I leave money on the table? So the same thing with patent when we're writing an application is we try to go extremely broad and we want the actually, we want the examiners to come back and find prior art. Like we, if we draft one that's automatically allowed, we think, okay, maybe we didn't go broad enough. Maybe we left some money on the table. So as a practitioner, we always want to go a little broad. There's ethical rules about how broad we can go, but we want to go as broad as possible. So we actually want a okay. rejection the first time. And then the ideal case is, at least my drafting strategy is, I will try to go some really broad down to really narrow, and then that way I give it the examiner a good place to draw the line in the sand, and that gives us a lot of room to move forward to.
0: Wow, I didn't look at I... it that way. So so the patent attorney or patent agent is trying to go as broad as he can, and by going as broad as he can, that patent um, examiner is finding prior art that's very broad, correct?
1: definitely and the patent examiners are trained to find the closest prior art to the whole application so if the if the process works exactly like it should the examiner will be look at the claims in the overall application and he will find the greatest or the best prior art and then we say okay well this is how the prior art's different than our application, and we'll just claim the part that's different in the ideal situation. Sometimes that doesn't happen, but that would be the ideal.
0: Well, that would be ideal, Brian, but it doesn't ever happen that way. I I get this prior art that's like... But it seems to me there's a process, and maybe there's a a game being played because it seems like very quickly this prior art comes, and now I've... um, I've got to reply back to that office action. It is expensive. How important is it to talk to your patent agent or patent attorney to get an interview to really understand what those objections are from the patent examiner?
1: I think it's critical. That's the best way. And then one of my in my article, I tried to stress that, like there's there's something going on in that examiner's mind of why he said that. Like for example, like say your inventor developed a boot and then say the examiner finds prior art for a shoe. And he says, Hey, you claimed a foot covering apparatus. So, right. That would, that would cover that. So we'll talk to the examiner and the examiner will say, well, you claimed it this way. So therefore that covers your boot, covers a shoe. And they're like, okay, well, how about if I claim it this way? Would that distinguish over that? And then the examiner can say yes or no. And then sometimes the examiner will come back and say, well, I have to do another search, but
0: okay what what i really like about those interviews because like, i've been on a few of them i'm always nervous i don't say anything i just listen <laughs> by the way okay so because it it's at first they seem to be kind of at different ends they're at different sides and you could tell there's a little argument at the very beginning you know positioning but i've noticed that a, a good um patent attorney or patent agent seems to ask the right questions to get that examiner to to, to actually tell them what they need to do to get that patent. Is that kind of how that plays out a little bit?
1: My I only did a few interviews, so I was at the patent office for a little less than a month or less a little less than a year. So I didn't see a lot of interviews. I had like three and everybody that I dealt with was very professional. Like it wasn't it was kind of like our conversations, like, Hey Examiner, you said this. Okay. Hey, why did you say this? This sort of thing, just trying to understand what the or the best interviews were trying to understand. Okay. Because if you make it adversarial, the the patent examiner will dig in their hills and then you don't make any progress. So you kind of want to be at okay. a team like the examiner is representing the public as a whole. And then we're trying to represent the inventor. So we want to be sure that both sides.
0: I love that you said sides. they're representing the public as a whole. Okay. So you really want to find whoever's going to help you navigate through the system of, of actually getting a patent. You want to make sure they have some pretty good people skills? <sighs>
1: Those are the best practitioners that I've met. So, sometimes attorneys or people that are really good on paper are not quite as good in <laughs> person. But it's it's one of the ones like the examiner is a person. Like you just treat it as an examiner. You know, treat the examiner as a person. Okay. Just talk to him. Like don't don't try to argue with him. Oh, you're wrong. You're wrong. But try to understand okay. and say, Hey, I view it this way. Do you see why I got there? And why, why do you think why I got there is wrong? And just try to come to okay. an understanding.
0: Hey, Brian. Quick question here. I felt at the very beginning, I know a lot of people out there, that the, the USPTO is just against you, right? They don't want you to get a patent. They hate you. They're, they're, they're going to hold my invention. They, they want to stop me from commercializing my invention. Is that true or not?
1: So, you know what, as an outsider, before I went to the patent office, I felt that way. And I felt that like they would like high five themselves in the back room when they got this over on the inventor. But when I actually got in to see them, I found that the people in the patent office really care. They want to help the inventors on that. And just the mostly where the inventor, the most of what people call quality is just differences in opinions.
0: You know the one thing I've noticed about the USPTO, I think they do care. I've been to some of their events throughout the years, and I'm always, I'm always amazed at how much they do care. And they're the, the eight, you know, the one eight hundred number. If you've got a problem, call them. They'll talk to you. They'll guide you. I think their customer service is, is spectacular for their size. So I'm just here to tell everybody, understand the system as best you can. They're not out to get you. I know it feels that way, but it's not true. Um, But keep inventing. That's what I tell everybody. Just learn the system. One last question I have. Um, Someone told me that when you write your non-provisional patent application, if you can tell a story a little bit that the patent examiner can identify with, that it kind of sells it a little bit for him. Is that true?
1: So the better you can communicate to the examiner, the better. There's also some legal ramifications of if you if you can put yourself in a hole. So a lot of people try to stay away from that because they can say the wrong things. But the more you can help the examiner understand what you're doing and what's new versus what's old and all that, the better he can understand that, the better he can go looking for everything. But there's been some litigation issues. So people tend to be just so broad that you really can't distinguish like okay. you have no idea okay what's the improvement what is
0: well let's talk what about what problem is... I've got another question because you you kind of opened another door about being too broad it seems to me that's the goal of the inventor and that's the goal of the you know the patent agent or the patent attorney that makes sense right but that can come back to hurt you later can can it being too broad <sighs>
1: It can. There's been some issues in litigation, but there's – oh, that, that's a really deep rabbit hole to go down. But so, yeah, it, it can be, but usually yeah, it's – I'm bringing that up a little bit in the article, and we can do another call, and I can go into some more depth about that. But, yeah, that's a rabbit hole. But, yeah, so you have to consider where, where the patent will end up, like who okay. else will read it. Okay. You know, you don't want to be able to confuse a jury, jury with – or the judge or the opposing. Okay. So you kind of you, – you're kind of balancing between – you want the examiner to really understand what you're doing, but you don't want to give enough rope so someone else can come along and hang you with it. So it's kind of a very interesting, it's kind of a seesaw balancing sort of act. All right.
0: Well, I'll bring you back. Um,
1: oh, okay, sounds good.
0: Brian, thank you very much. I think this is really interesting, and I think the, the more we can have a conversation about both sides of it, I think it's going to be really important for all of us to understand and have a little um, empathy for both sides a little bit and say, okay. The system isn't perfect. It is our system. It does work. It's been around for a while and um, I love it. So Brian, another question for you. So what do you do? Are you helping inventors? I mean, are you thinking about helping because your perspective is so important?
1: So I'm definitely helping inventors. One of the areas that I'm in the process of creating some content for is to help the smaller independent inventors like the U S system is set up so that a small inventor can get a provisional or file a provisional patent application and then have a year to go, go and raise money and have the money to do a non-provisional patent or an actual patent application. So yeah, I want to try to help inventors.
0: Okay. So we'll put some information down below and um, hopefully you can help a few inventors.
1: Definitely, I hope so. I've had a lot of people help me and I hope to give some back.
0: Wonderful, thank you, Brian.
1: Thank you.